This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditch the norm to live their best life and become location independent. It's official, it's the holiday season, and that means lots of traveling. So this December, I'm really excited to share that I will be giving away a $250 Delta gift card. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to enter for a chance to win. As an added bonus, share this contest with your friends and family. And for every person who enters, you will get 10 more chances to win. So make sure to share this with as many people as possible so you can be the winner. On this week's episode of The Offbeat Life, I speak to Leah Schaup. She is a nomadic translator and social media influencer. After graduating college with a degree in interpreting and translations, Leah became unsure where her career will take her. She knew that a 9-to-5 job was not right for her, but with a bit of hard work and networking, Leah was able to find a career as a translator that allows her to live a location-independent lifestyle. Today, Leah travels the world and continues to expand her language skills while working as a translator and social media influencer. So much for joining me today. Can you fill in the gaps of your story and how you're able to live a location independent lifestyle? Yeah, sure. I can definitely do that. So I guess it all started with my education. I kind of set myself up to be able to do this without even realizing that's what I was doing. So I did a bachelor's in Spanish at the University of Georgia, and I knew that I wanted to do something with language, but wasn't really sure where to go with that. I didn't really have anybody to guide me, I felt like, because most of the people that I knew that studied Spanish went into education, and I knew that wasn't the field for me. So luckily, as I was about to graduate with my Spanish degree, I got an email from Wake Forest University about a translation and interpreting master's program, and I thought that that sounded a lot more like myself and something that I think I would be good at. So I went into that program, which was a year-long master's. And from there, I had another decision to make because I wasn't really sure where I was going with that either, but I knew I wanted to live abroad. So luckily, one of my friends from my master's program had recommended going to Chile. He recommended a program to me called Teaching Chile, which was really kind of the first way that I got down here. I didn't want to just show up in this foreign country with no connections at all to a job. So really, my first way of getting down here was teaching English that I wanted to make it a platform into finding a job in translation or interpreting. It's particularly better for me to look for a job in translation in South America because a translator will typically go from the non-native language into the native language. So for me, that works out a lot better here where I'm kind of more special here because I'm the native English speaker. So I was able to find jobs here where I could translate from Spanish into English. Whereas in the U.S., it would be harder because I would have to be translating into Spanish, and I'm not a native Spanish speaker. So I don't necessarily have, for example, certain instincts that a native Spanish speaker would have. 
So I arrived in Santiago with my teaching job, and that was kind of my platform for getting down here and trying to make contacts in translation and looking for a job really that was more so in what I had studied than teaching English. So I worked teaching English a little less than a year in Santiago, and I was actually able to find my job that I currently have through networking with kind of the gringo community in Santiago. So definitely, if you're living abroad, I recommend always networking within that expat community because you can normally find a lot of people who can give you advice on a lot of different things. I ended up finding my job that way. I made contact with a guy who was from Washington and he had started a company in Chile where he offered contracts with different universities. Um, and through these contracts, basically what he was offering was that different professors within the university would send his company papers and his company would then translate the papers from Spanish to English. Or if they were already written in English, they would review the papers and then these papers would be sent to different scientific journals. So basically the idea is that these professors at the different universities in Chile, they want to publish and it's better for them to do it in English because it has more impact in the scientific field. So it's easier for them to write the papers in Spanish and then have us translate them into English. And that's basically what I do now. That's how I found my job. And I don't even really know what I would call myself because it's kind of a random thing that I do. And I don't know many other people that do this kind of translation, but I normally just refer to myself as an independent contractor for research translation. That is incredible and really interesting how everything just went the way it did for you. So for a lot of people who are interested in doing something like this, what would be the first step that you would advise them to do in order to become a translator? So I think the most important thing when you become a translator is to really find a niche. So basically, if you're just a general translator, it's going to be really hard for you to try, to try to find jobs. So what made me stick out was that I got this experience translating papers, and now I can call myself a research translator. So basically, you want to find a certain area that you can become an expert in. So whether that, in certain cases, it could be medical translation, it could be that you translate books, it could be that you translate within the business field. So basically, if you take your knowledge of translation and mix it with another topic that you might be interested in, that's the best way to become someone who's special within the field and it sticks out is to have something that you're really good at alongside translation. It's really important to niche yourself because that's what's going to make you more marketable and people will know you from that. It's just like with anything else. For someone who is thinking about doing this, and I know you are really passionate about your job and you love languages, but for somebody who just knows the language, do you think this type of job or career is right for everybody? Oh, it definitely doesn't work for everybody. Uh, we have kind of a saying within the field that not everyone who speaks the language is going to be able to translate it. So I definitely think from my point of view, the reason that I like it and that I feel that I'm good at it is that I like puzzles and it's challenging for me. So each translation is kind of a puzzle. And particularly within research, I like reading research papers. So, you know, it kind of goes along. You have to like what you're going to be translating or else you're, you're going to completely lose interest in it. So and even within translation, you have translation and you have interpreting. So for me, I do translation, which is written documents. 
but there are people who specialize in being interpreters as well, which is kind of translating spoken word. Um, and I would say that even those two professions, there are different personalities that work better for each profession. So for me, I'm okay working at a computer. Like I like the challenge of these papers, but for someone who's maybe super extroverted, they might not be comfortable sitting at the computer all day. They might want to look more towards the interpreting field. Those are really great options to have. Can you give us more information on how you create income from this career, such as starting salary or how you price your work because you are an independent contractor? For me, it's I'm kind of a, almost separate within the field because I got really lucky with my job and my current job is actually unpaid monthly. So I don't have to go out and freelance and find the jobs that I translate. Most translators are going to charge per word, and that's going to vary depending on the country that you're working in. So definitely, I recommend investigating that wherever you go. For example, if I'm doing a translation in Chile, I can't charge as much as I would charge in the U.S. So wherever you're going to be, make sure to investigate beforehand. And it's, and it's pretty easy to find. There's general rates in every country that are considered acceptable. But for me, I found my job in Chile and was lucky enough to find a more stable option within translation, which most of the times you're going to find freelance options. But for me, I came across this stable monthly option. So within my company, my boss sends me a certain number of translations a month, and that's kind of my monthly payment. Within Chile, the payment is going to be less than in other countries that are maybe more developed because here just the salaries in general are lower. So what I earn per month here in Chile is 1 million pesos, which sounds like a lot of money. <laughs> but, uh, but in the exchange, it goes to about 1,500 US dollars per month. So that's with just my Chilean job. But I also try to pick up freelance translations on the side if I'm able to find them. And then I also have kind of my social media outlets going on and sometimes I'm able to pick up extra income monthly from those outlets as well. And you have all of these different types of jobs and source of income so that you have other things to be able to supplement your lifestyle, which is perfect. Exactly, exactly. I think that it's hard. If you're going to be a freelancer, I think it's really hard to try to put like putting all your eggs in one basket is just not going to work in this field. You always have to be hustling and making sure that you're going to have some sort of income each month. Because if you don't have something more stable, then you're not going to be able to keep traveling and keep living this lifestyle. So you really have to hustle and make sure that you have multiple outlets going at once. If you decide to do this lifestyle, it's a lot of hustle and it's a lot of work and it's not going to be stable like if you have a nine to five, but there's also things that you gain and certain things that you lose. So you just have to realize whether it's the right type of life for you. Oh, exactly. And for me, it's just something that really fell into place at the right time. It wasn't even something that I planned. I, I didn't go into this thinking, oh, yeah, I want to be able to work remotely. It was just something that fell into place and it fell into place at the right time. Because for me, when I got this remote job, I was working in Santiago remotely for a while. And then my dad, who is back in the U.S. in Atlanta, he was re-diagnosed with lung cancer. So for me, it gave me that option to go back home and not have to change jobs and to be able to work from home and help take care of him um, without really losing my income. So for me, it just kind of all fell into place. 
And that's wonderful that you're able to do that and to be with your family when you're needed instead of having to worry that you're missing time at work and you're missing your income. Oh, absolutely. I've been so grateful, just so grateful to live in the time and the age that I live in because if not, if I had lived in any time in the past, this job wouldn't have been possible and my lifestyle wouldn't have been possible as a woman and as a person in general. There's so many opportunities as long as you just grab it. Exactly, exactly. And for me, it was I didn't even really know what I was grabbing. I I didn't (laughs) go into it thinking that this is what I wanted. It just kind of all worked out. Yeah, that's well, for you, it worked out really. (laughs) It worked out really well. Now, If someone wants to do this, where are the best resources for them to find more information about becoming a translator? So it's kind of hard because it's really going to depend on what languages you're looking at and within what field of translation. But I would say probably the best thing to do if you have your languages and your field in mind would be just to look on LinkedIn and try to connect with people Because a lot of time, if you can connect with a professional who's already in the field, they're not going to mind giving you advice. Or even if you shoot them an email, they'll typically respond. So I really recommend trying to find people who are already within the field and who can give you more direct advice. Because someone like me, for example, I can give you advice if you're looking to work in the specific type of translation that I do. But it really is going to depend on what language you're looking at and what kind of translation or interpreting you're wanting to do. Perfect. Thanks for that advice, Leah. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Now, do you choose certain places to stay at for a long period of time because of maybe the time difference or you just love it there? How do you figure out where you're going to be in which location you're going to live at at a certain amount of time? So basically for me, the thing that most affects where I'm going to travel is going to have to be language because that's what I love is languages. So for me, I speak English, Spanish, and Portuguese. So I typically pick locations that speak either Spanish or Portuguese because I love getting to practice um, and kind of perfect my language while I'm traveling. I mean, that's why I chose Chile in the first place. And even this, this year where I've traveled or where I've chosen to travel has been Spain, Portugal, Brazil, Chile, Argentina. It's great when you're able to do that and practice the language that you're also trying to work with so that you can keep using it and you don't become rusty. How did you know that you were following the right path for yourself? Because a lot of us in any age, really, we always question if what we're doing is the right thing for us. Oh, that's hard. I'm almost not even sure if I did. I think I honestly didn't know as I made the decisions. I just kind of had to make them. And then as certain events happened, then I was kind of reinforced that I had made the right decision. For example, I had fallen into this job and I wasn't sure. I mean, I was doing okay in it, but I wasn't sure about it. And then everything with my dad happened and I was suddenly able to keep working, but be home and in the house with my dad. So I guess through that, I kind of knew that I had made the right decision because I was able to be there when my family needed me. And I was able to keep traveling because I guess 
I've just always felt kind of trapped by the idea of a nine to five. And I thought maybe that was just me not being mature. Maybe it was because I hadn't worked enough. I don't know. I I had always felt like maybe it was a problem with me. But now that I've met so many other people who are doing remote jobs, I don't know if it was me. I think it's society, I guess. And, And we're in this day and age learning to be able to adapt and live the lifestyles that we want. And I definitely don't want to make my lifestyle sound like a complete dream. I mean, it definitely works for me, but it wouldn't work for everyone. And, and you know, there are, it's a trade-off. I get this flexibility and I'm able to travel, but I definitely don't earn as much financially as my friends who do nine to fives back at home in Atlanta. So it's really, you have to know what you want and are you willing to do that? There's definitely a trade-off. It's still something that we have to constantly reassure people that we're going to be okay. We're not going to be starving. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Have to do that with my parents for sure. Now, what has been the biggest setback that you have encountered and how did you handle it? Okay, so I think for me, the biggest setback with what I do is that it's so antisocial. So it is me sitting at a computer and I can take that computer wherever I want to go, but I'm most always going to be by myself. So I don't have interactions with coworkers or anything like that throughout my day, like another typical job might have. So I guess there are parts of me that miss that social interaction. So I kind of have to learn how to combat that. When I'm working, it's a little bit more antisocial and then When I finish work, I always have to make sure that I plan activities to do with people so that I don't kind of move into this antisocial depression just because of the way that my job works with the computer and being by myself. And I do think I lean a little more towards being extroverted. So it definitely is a little bit more difficult with an extroverted personality. You know, once again, I'm not sure that it would work for everybody. I know a lot of my friends in the U.S., I don't think that they would be happy with, for example, the salary that I earn. So you just have to make a trade-off. For for example, with my job being based in Chile, you have to accept what you're going to get paid based on that country's standards. And then if that's not enough for you, you look for other outlets like I did with social media. And I also have another side um, independent contractor job as a translator for a different company. So you just kind of, if what you're doing isn't enough, you can find other ways to kind of add to that. Yeah, it's it's what's right for everybody is, you know, what you need to figure out. Yeah, definitely. And and it's also figuring out once you decide to go into something like that, it's kind of figuring out how to value your skills. It's kind of almost a lesson in self-confidence because you have to be able to start learning how to not, not undervalue yourself. Because if you undervalue yourself, you're selling yourself short financially too. And with all of the experience that you're getting, you should definitely know what you're worth. What what advice would you give to that for somebody who is still trying to figure out how they should price their work? So I knew a little bit more about pricing translation, but when I started doing different social media collaborations, I didn't know anything about how to price that. And luckily, other Instagrammers are so open, or in my case, have been so open with telling me how they've priced certain things and what exactly it is that they charge for. And that's how I was able to figure out what I should be charging and who I should be contacting. And other Instagrammers have just been so great to me and and so great to be able to look for advice from them and just open, just sending them a direct message and they respond. That's really helped me. 
Now, how were you able to get into the social media world and to the blogging world from translation? What attracted you to that? And how were you able to make income from that as well? So when I was living as an expat in Santiago, I just kind of started having all of these ideas about writing about Chile and what expat life is like, particularly in Santiago. And it kind of built up for a while until I eventually had the idea to start a blog and start writing about those things. So it really started as A, me kind of walking around Santiago and taking pictures in the beginning for my Instagram, and then B, eventually starting my blog, Gringa Journeys, which was very focused on living in Santiago and what that looked like and kind of helping other people adjust to life in Chile and what they could expect, what the culture was like. So my blog, focusing mainly on Chile while I was here, that kind of exploded within the expat community here because I was one of the few people writing about it. We have a pretty big expat community, but there's just not a lot of information available online. So I was kind of one of the first people putting that out there. And I I get a lot of emails now from foreign exchange students, from people looking to visit Chile, from people looking to move to Chile. And really, my blog is just able to help them in that. So basically, I had to kind of burst in that. And my Instagram took off a little bit more because I actually enjoy taking photos a lot more than I do writing. So my Instagram is actually a lot more popular than my blog, I think, for that reason. That's my guess. I enjoy doing it more. But really this past year is when I started having companies come to me and I really didn't know anything about doing collaborations or being able to make money from companies and marketing myself and marketing their products. Really, I did. I feel like I didn't make the first step. The first step was companies coming to me and that was me undervaluing myself. I didn't realize I could charge for these things. I was just very out of the loop. So companies started to come to me at the beginning of this year as far as Instagram and my blog. And from there, I started to realize, wow, this doesn't have to be just one direction. I can start to reach out to companies too. So after one of my first paid collaborations is really when I started sending out emails, just trying to make contacts. I made a media kit for my blog and my Instagram. I started learning more about what kind of followers I have, their demographics, what they're interested in. And I started kind of forming social media packages that I would send to companies and say, this is how much I charge for these services. This is how much I charge for this package. And so from there, I've really just been able to start padding my monthly income with certain promotions on Instagram, which honestly, I didn't even realize I had no, this is another thing that I just kind of fell into. And it's really worked out, really worked out. And I just, I love it because I love the travel Instagram community and being able to meet other people that have such similar interests. Because I think sometimes in real life, you don't necessarily just bump into those people. But social media really helps you connect with them. It's, it's really true. It's, it's a different type of friendship. And it, there's a different understanding there that you may not necessarily have from friends that you do have in person that don't necessarily understand this type of craziness. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I've talked about this with my boyfriend and with other friends in, in particular, because to them, I have to kind of explain it. You know, I think your friends that you make just in your regular life, you kind of bump into them through shared experiences, you know, for example, being in the same class in college, and then you become friends. But on Instagram, I think you make friends through shared interests. And I think that's what makes it so special is because these people have such similar interests to you. And you might not necessarily find that just 
going about your everyday life. So when you go to all of these different types of companies to market yourself, how do you do that? And how did you figure out how to create your media kit? First, I kind of like to start following a company across social media to get an idea of if I think we would work well together, kind of if I think my audience would be interested in what they're doing. So I start following them on social media for a while at first before I even think of approaching them. Because that kind of gives me a good background to be able to say, oh, I followed your company on social media for some time and I've noticed blah, blah, blah. Or I think that I would be a good asset for you because blah, blah, blah. So basically, I'll follow them on social media for a while. I'll send an email normally to their PR or social media contact. And from there, I'll just kind of introduce myself say that I'm interested in their company, that I followed their company for a while, and then I'm interested in becoming some sort of brand ambassador is usually the term that I use. And so from there, I'll tell them, you know, if you're interested in working with me, let me know, I'd be happy to send you my media kit. And a lot of times I don't get a response, but a lot of times I do. And from there, I'll send my media kit with all of my information and my prices. How do you deal with relationships, family, personal relationships, friendships when you are working remotely? Yeah, so this is something that I honestly am still learning to do well. When I first moved to Chile, I was so bad about it. And I just kind of let my relationships at home fall apart, which ended up being a horrible, horrible mistake. So when I moved home, I was kind of able to rebuild those relationships. And from there, I've been doing my best to kind of make sure that I'm still keeping in contact with the people I want to keep in contact. You definitely have to make time during your day to call certain people or to text certain people, because if you don't do it, then you just lose contact with them totally. For me, the main thing is with friends from home, FaceTiming them. As far as my boyfriend, uh, obviously we talk a lot more than once a week. So when I'm not in Chile, when I'm traveling around or based in the U.S., we normally text throughout the day and we call in the morning and at night. So I'm able to hear about his day and how he's doing and everything. We're able to keep in touch kind of like a normal relationship. We just don't physically see each other all the time. Yeah, that must be really tough to have that long distance relationship with your boyfriend, but you make it work, right? The way you need to. For me personally, I long distance, I think people kind of chalk it up to something that's going to be way worse than it actually is. I mean, if you're going to go a year without seeing somebody, obviously that's going to be really hard. But if your relationship is strong enough, it's not as bad as everyone makes it seem. You know, I've seen it work and I've seen a lot of people's relationship work with uh, long distance. So it's not that bad if your relationship is strong. It's just a matter of taking that time to talk to them regularly so that you are able to understand what each other's going through. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so important too, particularly in relationships. I think nowadays it's becoming a lot more common to have multicultural relationships as well. And I think that becomes another difficulty on top of the long distance because you have to kind of take a step back and, and kind of take their culture into into mind. It's pretty interesting when you see a lot of different couples who are multicultural now getting together. It's really interesting because it's just I guess kind of multicultural differences in relationships for me are so interesting because you don't see them coming. Like 
you can't necessarily anticipate all of the misunderstandings that you might have because of cultural differences. They just kind of happen when they happen. And when they do, you learn a lot about that culture and about your significant other and what they're used to and what's normal for them. Yeah, that's really true. And you both have to get used to the differences. And that's what makes your relationship more interesting in that sense. So now if you could go back and give yourself one advice, what would it be? I think just kind of to trust where destiny is going to take you. I'm very type A. I try to plan everything. And even though I know that my plans aren't going to work out, I still try to plan everything. And I guess that's something that I'm trying to work on is to try to not have to have control over everything in my life, particularly with this lifestyle, you have to start getting used to it. So really just I'd go back and tell myself to stop freaking out and just trust in the future because everything falls into place. You know, looking back with everything that happened with my dad getting sick, with my relationship becoming cross hemispheral. (laughs) You know, everything just fell into place. And that's not something that I would have ever known. I think it's just letting go and letting things happen. Because if you try to plan everything and to decide everything and trying to make sure you're in that schedule, it usually doesn't go the way you always think. Exactly, exactly. And, And I think it's just something that you learn through life experience. I think that we all grew up with certain expectations of our adulthood. And I think those are pretty quickly shattered. And we have to kind of learn to let go and just life take you where it's going to take you because you can't change it, you know? Now, throughout all of this, what has been the worst advice that you have ever received? So I think I haven't necessarily received any bad advice, but maybe I'm kind of avoiding other people from back home pointing me in certain directions, like to come back home and work a desk job or earn more money back home. So really, I think I think that's the closest thing I would have. This is why having people and friendships who do understand this lifestyle is so important, because sometimes they're really the only people that we have who understand what we're going through and can relate to that. So having that support system is so crucial when you're feeling down and you hear these things and you don't think anybody understands. And then you talk to your friend who does remote job and they're like, I totally get you. And I know how you're feeling right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Like I, I need kind of the Instagram community because I have girls that understand what I'm doing. Whereas my friends from home always try to suggest getting a job in Atlanta and making more money. And for me, I would just feel kind of strangled without this flexibility. And, you know, I think maybe one day down the road, I'll, I will change and maybe I'll do a nine to five job one day. Who knows? I, I haven't been able to predict my future thus far. So who knows? For right now, whatever is right for you should be the thing that you should be pursuing and following because it's what makes you happy. And then honestly, you're gaining so much experience that it may lead you to other things that you don't know about. Exactly. That's what's been kind of interesting because I've just been kind of thinking, you know, one day I do think I will settle down in the U.S. Uh, Who knows, though? Like Once again, who knows? Uh, That's the plan at the moment is to one day eventually settle down in the U.S. And really, the experience that I've gotten through social media is kind of leading me to being able to have these skills that could lead to possible jobs down the road. 
as far as within social media management and working with influencers. So that's been really interesting. Something that I really just got into out of interest is actually becoming a skill. Yeah. And allowing you, because of the remote job you have and the flexibility, it allowed you to really pursue these other types of passions and interests that you have that you may not have had the time for if you were working at home. Definitely. It definitely gives you the time and the flexibility to be able to explore other skills. For example, with Instagram, I don't have to go to the bathroom in my office to be able to post or something, you know. Uh, I have friends who at work have to kind of like go to the bathroom in the middle of the day to be able to post on their Instagram. For me, you know, I can do it whenever. I can write blog posts whenever. Um, I can take photos whenever. I'm not, uh, I don't have a fixed schedule where I can't go out during the day and take photos during the day. So yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before, but having this flexible job definitely gave me the ability to learn those other skills and the time to do so which is what you're going to need later on if you do decide not to do translating anymore or the other things that you're doing and create your own thing. And you have all of these incredible skills. Yeah, it's kind of like you learn these skills and then you start to think, wait, am I called something in a profession? You know, like you start to get big on Instagram and all of a sudden it's like, wait, am I a social media influencer? You know, (laughs) it's something that hits you without you really anticipating it. So if you could give one advice to someone who is also struggling to figure out what they want to do or they want to have a location independent lifestyle, but they're unsure how they can do it. Well, it really depends on what you're interested in. So kind of think about what's the thing that you like to do the most. Can you make money from it? And is there any way that you could make it kind of location independent? So I think that's the first step. And if you realize that what your current profession is, there's no way to make it uh, location independent, maybe start looking at other skills that you have. Or if you're really just looking at a way to get there as fast as you can, look into teaching English. I think that's the fastest way to go to another place, even if you might not particularly have a skill that is location independent yet. So I think for a lot of people, I'm not sure that they see that option. You know, you don't have to come to a country and only teach English. You can come down, have that be your platform. And from there, try to make kind of connections with people within your field or within something that you're looking to try. And from there, you can start to branch out to being location independent. Networking is so crucial to anything. It's who you know, what friendships that you make and genuine friendships obviously that you're making that will get you through the next thing yeah and that's definitely where undervaluing yourself comes into play once again because networking is something that I personally struggle with because you know I feel like you really have to have a lot of self-confidence to go out there and sell yourself so in the past couple of years I've really had to push myself Um, And to know my worth and know that I'm worth someone wanting to work with me or someone wanting to pay me to do this or that. It's really something where you have to learn to value yourself or once again, you're not going to be able to do it. And putting yourself out there and then learning that is so important for yourself. So before I say goodbye to you, I wanted to ask you a question from one of our listeners, Andrea of Andy Comia from Instagram, who asks, how do you organize your time and stay focused on your work when you are remote? 
So for me, the best thing about that is that I don't have a set schedule. So really, as you start to work remotely, you will start to become super familiar with your most productive times of the day. So you're really able to work whenever you feel the most productive. And if you need to take a break, you take a break. There's no one telling you that you shouldn't. So really, you can mix up your schedule however you feel like is going to best benefit your work. I think that's the best part about being location independent and not having a set schedule. I love that because you have so much freedom and then to also know and realize when you're at your most productive and what time you're awake enough to be yeah. able <laughs> to yeah, do the I work. Mean, that's something you really learn through experience because you're not going to know the first time, you know, when you feel like you're going to be the most productive or when you need a break and some days might be different from others. But the best thing about it is if I feel really tired and I need to take a nap, there's nobody telling me I shouldn't. You know, I have to get my work done and I will. So you have to be very self-motivated about that. Yeah, that's the beauty of having a remote lifestyle is because you have that freedom. But it's also a double-edged sword because then you have to, you're the only one regulating your actions and nobody's telling you yep. when to do things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good because we love it. <laughs> So if our listeners want to know more about you and your incredible career, where can they find you? My biggest social media outlet is Instagram, where you can find me by my name. So it's at L-E-A-H-S-H-O-U-P at Leah Schaup. And that's where you can find me most of the time. You can also go to my website. That's gringajourneys.com. I'm on Pinterest at gringajourneys. And those are really my main places you can find me. Thank you so much, Leah. I really appreciate all of the knowledge that you gave us. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Leah. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get those killer resources and so much more. Love a good audiobook as much as I do? Of course you do. Well, you're in luck because I have teamed up with audible.com to give you a 30-day trial for free. Make sure to visit offbeatbook.com. Again, that's offbeatbook.com to get that incredible trial 